Welcome, everyone, to Creating a Family, talk about adoption and foster care. I'm Dawn Davenport. I am both the host of this show as well as the director of the nonprofit creatingafamily.org. Today, I am excited. We are going to have a panel interview with a transracial adoptee, his birth mom, and his adoptive mom. So this is going to be a the second in a series of transracial adoption. Last week, you heard the one on trauma in transracial adoption. And so today we're going to be talking about transracial in the adoption in the eyes of an adoptee, birth mom, and adoptive mom. And so this is going to be exciting, exciting for me anyway. We will be talking with Kyle Bullock. He is a 31-year-old transracial adoptee, adopted at nine months for foster care. We will also be talking with Michelle Hubble. She is Kyle's birth mom. And Ellen Bullock, she is Kyle's adoptive mom. Kyle is a former actor and currently works in sales. Michelle is a mom to two other children who she parented, and she served in the military and has been a delivery driver with FedEx for 23 years. Ellen is a mom to another transracially adopted child, a child by birth, as well as being a guardian to an unaccompanied minor from Guatemala, and she is an adoption attorney in Illinois. Welcome, Kyle, Michelle, and Ellen to Creating a Family. Thank you. Hello, hello. Thanks for having us. All right. I think just by way of background, let's start by letting each of you share your story. And I'm putting that in air quotes so you can decide what to include in this part to kind of give us background to help this discussion. Kyle, we'll start with you. Absolutely. So my story. Oh, wow. I mean, I could, I could, that could, that could take uh, 31 years. But uh, And this is not intended to be a therapy session. Just keep that in mind, Kyle. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so my story, I, I was, um, you know, I was adopted by my adoptive mom. I was born August 13th, 1990. Um, and I was adopted in May. And I, I grew up with my, with my family. I have two brothers. I have a brother uh, and a sister. I mean, Charlie. And then, you know, we, we just grew up in this uh, amazing family home, loving family home in Champaign, Illinois. I'll fast forward to, to the teenage years. Um, I was going through a lot of things, a lot of questions about identity, who I am as a person, because I didn't know essentially where I came from, right? And my grandma suggested that we watch this movie called Antoine Fisher. I said, great, let's watch it. Okay, it's going to be fine. Movie night. Ugh, I'm 15. Do I really want to do this? <laughs> um, and and uh, and I did it. And it ended up being an amazing experience because by the end of it, I was I was bawling my eyes out. And the next day, I, I told myself I was going to find my birth mom. And um, hopefully some of the listeners remember uh, my space was big. And so I had my mom's first and last name, Michelle Hubble, and her location, Peoria, Illinois. I plugged that into to my space and three people popped up and I decided to message the first one. And I said, hey, my name's Kyle Bullock from Champaign. Uh, I was born in Peoria. Are you my birth mom? Um, if you are, hey, how are you? If you aren't, I am Sorry for uh, the mistake, uh, not mistake, but but interrupting your day. And uh, I hope you're well. And so I waited about, you know, 20, 30 minutes. And uh, lo and behold, I ended up uh, getting a message back. And she said, yes, I am. It's been a wonderful and beautiful experience. And um, I, I've definitely been been blessed and have completed this this puzzle of 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 my life. Uh, did you involve your adoptive parents in the decision, or did you make this on your own without consulting them? 
So I told them, I, you know, we watched the movie and at the end of the movie, in my mind, I knew I was going to fi- I, I was going to look for him the next day. Um, and the next day I told him, Hey mom, dad, I'm going to look for my birth parents or my birth mom. And, uh, my dad said, okay. I said, dad, can I have your computer? Um, they went to church and then that's when I started doing my, my search. Okay. Excellent. All right. Michelle, can you tell us your part of this, uh, of the story? Hi, thank you for having me. I was 14 and knew that I, when I became pregnant and gave birth to him August 13th, I knew I was too young. So I made the decision to give him up for adoption. And I remember they gave me three pictures of him as a baby that I kept, um, had in my diary. And fast forward to 2006, I'm in the middle of a war zone. I was serving oh with gracious. the Navy. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I am a CB. So we were in Iraq and just got finished. And I was online talking with a friend and a message on MySpace popped up and I knew immediately who it was. And I I paused for a minute and I started asking him just random questions and stalking his MySpace page, trying to see all the information. Cause I, I already knew who it was and you can tell he was a little impatient. He was like, okay, you know, sorry about, you know, enough of the questions. Are you her or not? And I said, <laughs> yes, I am. And we developed a relationship online. And when I made it back home, we ended up meeting at um, a neutral place and it's been love ever since. Oh, that is cool. Did you, were you aware of who his parents were? Did you have a, did you relinquish him to foster care? Is that how that worked? No, I just, I didn't know anything. I didn't know he was in foster care. I just signed the papers at the courthouse. I knew he was going up for adoption, but I I had no details. I had nothing. I knew. You knew nothing nothing. else. Mm -hmm. Okay. Ellen, can you tell us your story by way of background? You know, this is a lovely experience. Thank you. But one of the nicest things about it is I'm learning something as Michelle and Kyle are talking, even right this minute, that I didn't know. I know the pictures, that the little baby pictures that Michelle is referring to, but I didn't know she kept them all those years. So uh, that's kind of, for me, what this adds up to. There were just these wonderful people. Of course, everybody always says, and it's 100% true, that uh, a birth family gives their child to an adoptive family. I always believe that, and, and that's wonderful. But in addition, Michelle has given me so much more, my my wonderful son, but also Michelle and I are friends. When that connection happened between Michelle and Kyle, then the next connection, it was a little while later, was between Michelle and the rest of our family. And it has just been a lovely friendship. She gives me so much. Back to Kyle's original adoption, I didn't know much about Michelle and I didn't know much about adoption law. I was a younger woman, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't have any children. Kyle was my first. So everything about it was exciting. Everything about it was just wonderful. And um, he was the cutest baby. The pictures Michelle treasured are are the same (laughs) ones that I treasured and same ones I saw. He was just a wonderful child. And we did have a really happy home. I'm glad Kyle thinks so. He forgot to mention his dad, and so who might be listening. So, hi, Dad. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Dad. <laughs> yeah, I was going to, I, I was thinking, I'm pretty sure that, that he was, a, was a, a, a mom and a dad, but I wasn't going to say that. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, when 
Kyle was born, I started learning about adoption. Obviously, I didn't know anything as much then as I do now. And when he found Michelle when he was 16, that was really just his choice, but it was a really good choice. And that has been an enrichment to his life, but also much more to our family. Cool. All right. And so we're going to be focusing uh, on transracial adoption, but but as we focus on transracial adoption, the fact that that Kyle and Michelle are in reunion obviously influences this the, the, the conversation. So um, we're, we want to keep circling back to the reunion aspect. So Kyle, since we believe here at Creating a Family that that the adopted person needs to be the center of all of what we are doing, <laughs> as as well it should. Right. So we're going to spend more time talking about you to hear your experience. So then we'll come back to Michelle and uh, and Ellen later. But let's start with you. I'm really interested in your experience with transracial. As you said, you were a black child with white parents. You had a, a black sister and a, and a white brother. So let's talk about, it, it's hard to ask about the preschool years. You probably don't even remember some of them. But if you, anything you can share that about what being a transracial adoptee meant for you, we're kind of trying to get it. We're going to come go through the ages because I, I believe that the experience for many people differs depending on their age. So mm-hmm. um, kind of general, kind of ages and stages of development. So starting as your preschool years, do you have any memories? It was transracial. The fact that you weren't the same race as your parents an issue at all for you? Yeah. So Don, that's a, that's a good, that's a good point of question. Surprising. I have a pretty good memory as you know, my mom can, can attest to. So I remember even in preschool getting asked, you know, you're black and your your mom's white. How does that, you know, what, what's going on? And, you know, I, and they told me very early, you know, you were adopted. And so that's, that was my answer. I was like, Oh, I was adopted. And then that was it. There was no, you know, discussion about it because I, I didn't really understand. And as a, as a preschooler, or even in grade school, I didn't understand what that truly meant. It, it was tough. In the early years, in, in the preschool years, are we? Are you talking now about elementary, or when was it? When did it get tough? Even in preschool, but it really started in kindergarten, and then first grade, and then it, it moved all the way to high school, and even sometimes today. How was it tough? In what ways? And we'll come to the later years, but in the early years, right. how was it tough being a different race from your mom and your dad? Because so kids are very very smart, which I'm starting to learn. And they, they can spot differences and they ask questions. And when, as a kid, if you don't really know the, for me at least, if I really didn't understand the question or understand what they're asking, I would get frustrated. And so they would say, they would say you know, again, your mom's white, but you're black. How does that work? Or, or you can't hang out. Or another one was, you can't hang out with us because, you know, you don't, you don't talk black, whatever that means, right? You don't whatever that means. Right. And, and, or, and the white kids would say, oh, well, you know, you're not white, so you can't hang out, hang out with us either. So I was in this, this middle ground area mm-hmm. and I had to, I had to pave my own way and doing that alone and doing that. And I had, a, I had a solid, you know, core group of friends, but still doing that alone and not having, you know, that support of friends because friends are everything. To me, friends are everything, especially mm-hmm. in those younger years. Mm-hmm. That was tough. That was the challenging part. Mm-hmm. All right. So the not having 
not knowing which lane you're, you're in our society there we, we divide in lanes and not knowing which lane was yours and Absolutely. not and having to kind of create your your own path did one would assume middle school would be tough in my experience middle mm-hmm. school is of all the ages yeah. the toughest yeah. one but but not for everyone did uh, was middle school or high school did things start changing or or was that continue to be an issue of not not knowing where you belonged absolutely so i would middle school things were pretty stagnant in middle school um for me until maybe 8th grade the end of 8th grade that's when i started getting really curious as to okay I, I I look this way like we need we need answers like I would I would like to see answers, um, and so middle school is when I started really thinking about it, and then high school is when it really evolved. Freshman year was was fine, but sophomore year I was, I was 16 years old. You know, as a 16 year old, you're going through you know all these hormones and all these thoughts, and just everything is changing so quickly and fast. And not only that, I'm also dealing with identity as who I am. Right. I'm also dealing with the fact that I am adopted. I don't know my birth parent. I don't know my birth family. I don't know where I'm. I know where I'm from, but it's it's extremely difficult to 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 pinpoint the specific thing. Right. If you're if you're you know my my brother Charlie, you know he's he's born and he's my mom's birth son. He can he can pinpoint. Okay, I'm. This is my mom, right? This is my birth mom. But for me, I said, okay, this is my mom. This is my adoptive mom. But we don't look alike. So how? What's? Where? Where is my? Where is my other half of the family? Because I knew I had another half. I knew I had another side. Where are they? And so that's when around around the end of middle school slash high school, that's when I started having have these questions and thoughts mm-hmm. and, and ideas and feelings. Okay, and I'm going to come back to that to talk more mm-hmm. about the reunion. I want to go back to, I, I should mention that there is a documentary, a very short documentary, I wished it was longer, by NBC News. I was like, when it came to an end, I was like, gum, they're just barely touching the surface. I want them to go back. But there is a, and we will link to that in the show notes. So we will link to that. But in the in the documentary, you talked about in high school, uh, becoming very proficient at code switching, being mm-hmm. able to fit well. Uh, it sounded like you fit well in both lanes. You could hang with the black kids because you had figured out how to switch and be accepted there. But at the same time, you were able to be with the white with the white clicks as well. Mm-hmm. Talk some about that because how did you, well, I think we all know that code switching is almost intuitive that we, we pick that up, but not everybody does. So mm-hmm. w- by high school, were you able, did you feel like you could, could be in both crowds and be accepted or did you still feel like an outsider in both crowds? Absolutely. That's a great question. So I, I would say I perfected it by seventh or eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And I could I could code switch in between each race. Um, my parents did a wonderful job of instilling black male figures into my life by sending me to Canaan Academy, which was a predominantly black private school that I went to from fifth grade to six uh, fifth grade and sixth grade. My dad, uh, instead of having me play on the on the neighborhood baseball team that was right across the street from us, that was predominantly white. He took us to First String League, which was in a lower income area of Champaign, and I played with predominantly black kids. So I picked up on 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 
the language and tone very, very early. And so again, by, by high school or by the middle of middle school slash high school, I was, I perfected it. Mm-hmm. Excellent. That's, and, and we'll come to that at the end. We're going to give tips for parents and, and you just said a very important one. We want to let you know that we have 12 free online courses available for you, thanks to the support of the Jockey Being Family Foundation. You can find them there. They're some of our online parent training center courses, but they're free to you, thanks to Jockey Being Family. You can get them at bit.ly slash JBF support. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash J-B-F support. Check them out today and let your friends know. All right, so now let's talk about identity formation. And, and I mean, there are many things that make up our identity. Race is only one of them, but race is an important one. And in particularly for a transracial adoptee, was it a struggle for you to identify as a, a black youth and now as a black man, or, or was that easier for you because you had had so many role models? That is a that is a tough question. We could definitely spend five hours on on that. Initially, it was tough because my my part of my identity was I, I hate to say this, but part of my identity was white dominated because I am in a predominantly white family, and so uh, I could see I could see that side. I could I, I don't know how to describe. It. I could see that side, but then also I did have black friends. And so I was able to start carving out my own, I hate to say this again, black identity and understand the world from that side as well. Um, my parents did a really, again, they did a really good job at saying, you know, police brutality was a, was, is a thing. And they, from very early on, they said, okay, if they understood that people of color get stopped more frequently than uh, non-people of color, so white people. And very early on, so from kindergarten, um, they said, if a cop stops you, this is what you say, this is what you do. And so I, I had that part in my mind. And so as I got older, I was able to take notes and ideas from my from my mom and then from my friends as well and culminate that into the person that I am today. Okay, and that was a process, I take it. Yes. And do you feel now that that, that identity is firmly set at the ripe old age of 31? Yeah, ripe old age. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do. But at the same time, I'm all. I'm also learning different things every day, right? As as humans, we don't we don't just say, okay, this we are, this is our identity, and then we go on with life, right? We we grow every single day, and so I'm I'm constantly learning new things or growing on things that I've already learned and and um, have gotten. Hmm. And so for it sounds like now we want to talk some about the reunion with your birth mm-hmm. mom. And it sound was that re, how did that reunion play into your identity formation and your understanding of yourself as a black man or at the time right. you were a black young man? Right. It I describe it as this whenever I'm talking to people about it, it's like you're doing a you know 5000 piece puzzle, right? which is your life or which is your, your identity, whatever you want to call it. And you're putting this puzzle together, you know, I'm, I'm okay. So this is who I am. You know, this is uh, another thing. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. And I'm starting to see this picture of Kyle 
and I'm missing one piece. And that's my, that's my birth family, right? I don't, I don't have any idea where they are. And that, so that piece is missing. And then that reunion that I had with, with Ma, I, it was as if, you know, the stars aligned and it was whole, right? And so I put that piece together and boom, that's what I have. And then I'm starting another piece and then I'm starting another puzzle, right? I'm, I'm meeting new family members. I'm talking to uh, mama all the time and, you know, we go on trips and, you know, all these things to help me understand who I am as a man and, and, you know, where did I get my athleticism from? Right. Where did, where did I get my humor from or, or Mm -hmm. smile? Like these, it's just little things that make you who you are. And I'm starting to finally see this, this amazing picture come together. Mm -hmm. And, and it sounds like without having, I mean, I certainly would be possible without having Michelle's influence and and Michelle's presence, but, but it sounds like having that presence has helped in your, not just your racial identity, but your identity as who you are as a person. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've, it, 100%. Because again, if I, if I hadn't found her and, you know, it's, it's now 2022 and I think I, I would not, I would not be in the place I am today if I hadn't found her. That's probably as simple as I, as I can mm-hmm. put it. And share only to the degree that you're you're interested in sharing, but have you connected with your birth father, or is that not a piece that you are, are that 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 piece was not one you needed mm-hmm. to help identify? No, I, I know who he is. Um, I've I've spoken to him very briefly early on, um, but that's not a piece that's in, to me. That's not a piece that's very important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's important, but I have more of a connection with my birth mom, and that's. In my mind, that's the one that's uh, most important and the one I care about the most. How about your birth siblings? Because you have two birth mm-hmm. siblings, um, yes, and, and then two two adopted <laughs> siblings. So, yeah. how does that? How does that? Because family is family, you know. So we're uh, how does that? Uh, it's not just your mom; she comes with yeah. others. So yeah, how does right. that? Right, right. No, it's fun. I I like having more than one sibling, and of course, I'm the oldest, so. I feel like I, I'm watching over, you know, these, these, my, my family. Uh, no, um, Charlie, he, mom, how old is Charlie again? Charlie is 27. I'm, he's 30. Devin is 25. Is that right, Michelle? 26. And then Chloe's 11. So no, it's, it's great. I, I think the older I get, the more I, I, I connect with them and I talk to them. Obviously as a teenager, you're like, Oh, I just want to be by myself. Right. But, um, now that I'm older, I, I like, you know, I, I talked to, I messaged Devin on, on Snapchat or, or we text. Um, I talked to Chloe, Chloe even stayed with me here in Chicago. Um, and we just got to hang out and I got to see my, my baby sister. Right. And there's so many different qualities that we both share. Imi lives here in in Chicago and so with her husband. And so we sometimes, you know, text back and forth and talk. And then we see each other sometimes. And then my brother, Charlie, he's in Springfield right now. And we, you know, we, we talk and text here. So it's nice to be, be able to uh, have constant communication with my siblings. I think it's important. Yeah, uh, you were fortunate that. Uh, well, you may or may not. You have four younger siblings, so you yeah, may, yeah, may yeah. not that perceive have to, that. That I have to watch out for. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right, that, right, that's right. A, a mixed blessing for sure. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, now Michelle, I want to turn to talk to you. First, I want to talk to you about two things. One, reunion, 
And the second, reunion of a child who had been adopted transracially. But first, and I, and I think it's interesting that you did not, sometimes that we have situations with in domestic infant adoption where the birth mom chooses a white family to parent her child. So yours wasn't a conscious choice. In fact, until he uh, connected, until Kyle connected with you, were you aware that he had been adopted by a white family? I had no information and I didn't know anything, any details whatsoever. Got it. Okay. So first let's just talk about reunion in general. The fact that you were in war in at in a war and in a war zone at the time he reached out adds a certain amount of uh, complexity. It, well, if for nothing else, you couldn't uh, you couldn't actually get together till you got back stateside. But anyway, so had you thought that you would ever have a relationship with the child you had given up for adoption, placed for adoption? I did. I'm a firm believer in everything happens for a reason. And I left the door open for my information. Should he choose to find me that he would be able to find me. So deep down when I gave him up for adoption, I knew that he would find me at some point in time. Gotcha. Which probably helped you anticipate when, 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 uh, Mm -hmm. when he reached out, you were not, it wasn't a total surprise to you. Yeah, well, it's probably fortunate, considering where you were at. So from your standpoint, what has reunion meant for for you? And for you, uh, not to be presumptuous that you needed healing, but I think that placing a child for adoption leaves a gap for many women, or many parents, I should say. So did reunion impact you from that perspective? It did. You, I've always, I always wondered what happened. And you do hear a lot of stories about things that, you know, in foster care or adoption, you know, kids that get lost in the system. So there was a part of me that always wondered what had happened. So when he reached out and, you know, I looked through his MySpace and I was like, who, good family, great family. I'm so happy. Literally an hour and a half away. And it was, it was exciting to finally come face to face. I actually brought Devin, who was young at the time, I think it was maybe seven um, with me and explained to him, you know, that I gave a child up for adoption. So when we got there, there was a basketball game. So I wanted to meet on a neutral ground mm-hmm. and there was a basketball game. And first thing Devin says, and he says it loud, which one's my brother? And I'm like, the only black kid on the team, but <laughs> it's okay. Think, Devin. <laughs> you know, but they they clicked immediately, and and Devin understood. And from like I said, from that day on, it's it's been love. It's been like Kyle explained, a part of a puzzle piece is finally there and made whole. And how did your extended family, your parents, your brothers, sisters, and how did they respond to this reunion? I, all of them responded positively. My mom was, she was inducted into the African-American Hall of Fame here in Peoria, Illinois. Oh, she was cool. the first woman firefighter, yes, first African-American woman oh, firefighter. Wow. And she included him and all the family. And I just remember all of us were sitting and they're like, okay, and you are? Because he was in the program and he's like, you know, I'm Devin's brother. And they're like, okay, y'all got the same dads? And they're like, No. And then everybody look at me. I said, well, hey, this is what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your nose out of my business and, and love my son. Yeah, this is what happened. 
And literally not a beat was skipped. And he was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, tell us about yourself. I mean, it was all love. You know, everybody has been supportive. And I just love having an extended family. You know, we meet together. We try to do a Christmas lunch, dinner together. I, I, again, I work for FedEx. So it's usually after Christmas. <laughs> we try to all meet up. And, and do by the way, thank day. you for your deliveries. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for when you're working. The rest of us are really dependent on it and we're really appreciative. Yeah. Yes, I'm dependent on it too. I, yeah. I've been, it's Amazon Prime time now and, and I have been online quite a bit. But Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> yes. Now let's talk about the transracial aspect. Was that something that, again, because you didn't choose that, was that, mm-hmm. did that, did that worry you? Did that give you a, a pause or were you just happy that he was, had been raised, what looked like, I mean, you didn't know yet, but it looked like he had came from a loving family. My main concern was that he was raised in a loving family. I was raised with, you know, people of all colors. So I never, you know, him being raised by a white family didn't affect me. I was just glad that he was raised in a loving family, a loving home. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hey guys, I have a favor to ask. I've asked this a couple of times and I am absolutely loving the responses and the, the opportunity to talk with you individually. If we are trying to learn more, uh, we at Creating a Family, uh, learn more about our audience, we could ask you to fill out a survey, but honestly, it's more rewarding for me personally to talk with some of you. We don't need to talk for long, maybe just five minutes, 10 minutes max. But uh, if you would let me know, send me, reach out to info at creatingafamily.org and just put talk with Dawn or something along those lines in the ray line and, and send me your email so that I can reach out and we'll schedule the time for me to call. It would just be a huge help to me and, and really to creating a family, all of us here, just to find out more about our listeners. Uh, what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to see more of, less of, whatever. So please, info at creatingafamily.org. Thanks. So Ellen, now your experience with transracial adoption. You have two transracially adopted kids. So thoughts on the experience from an adoptive parent's standpoint? Well, um, you learn as Michelle and Kyle have both been kind of speaking, you learn as you go and you develop as you go. Now, it would be sort of nice to say that the transracial part was easy because I, you know, the adoption part was in some ways easy and wonderful and just brilliant. The transracial part, not as much. And that's because society is divided and there are these issues. And I, I have to say, sometimes I want them to go away really badly. I just want them to go away. And of course, that's what we all want, but that's the part that makes them so hard to deal with. They don't go away. So mm-hmm. the transracial part, it, it was uh, at sometimes it felt safer and better and happier. And like there were more positive things we could do. I remember when Barack Obama was elected president, it felt exciting. It felt like now everybody will be a part of a transracial family, uh, political family and nation. But, you know, other times uh, the transracial part has just come right up and knocked on our door. 
you know, as a white person, you can say, oh, no, it's not that racist. That really, that must not have been, you know, there really aren't white supremacists out there. There really aren't nasty people. That's just in the past. You just can't say that anymore when you're part of a multiracial family. And you have to instead understand the depth of racism and understand how hard it is for your child, for your child's birth mother, for whoever it is out there that our society has um, inflicted this horrible thing on, racism. And I um, can't tell you how that's been a lifelong journey that started with, you know, I'm sure it started earlier, but that uh, with the inclusion of Kyle in our family, it was never, ever, ever going to be okay again to just say, oh, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe it's fine. Maybe we'll all get along. From that day forward, it had to be, man, my whole life is devoted to making our society more equal for all races. And and that's what I've done. So you said that the racial issues came knocking on your door. I think that was a figurative figure of speech. But can you give us examples from raising Kyle or his transracially adopted sister of issues that have forced forced you to come to the realization of of parenting differently or doing things differently or, or anything along those lines? Well, the first one, the the types of things that we've done that Kyle started to mention that have been wonderful because they've made me acquainted with African-American culture within my own community, within different communities. Um, Kyle went to Canaan Academy, which was an African-American school. I, I, loved Canaan Academy. He, we had a Crayola club, which was for multiracial families and that met for years and the kids are still friends and the adults are still friends. Kyle played little league on an African-American team. David, my husband coached. And then, you know, the most, one of the most important ones uh, has been the reunion with Michelle and Devin and Chloe, because they have, of course, fit the puzzle piece into the identity but also into to race. They've been teaching us and me about racism. I, I, I know police brutality. Kyle said very nicely that we understood police brutality. Yeah, enough to teach it to a child that it was a danger. That doesn't mean you understand it. And um, I'm a lawyer. So I have thought over and over again about the meaning of the constitutional clause, equal protection of the law. And if law enforcement, which is the police, cannot equally protect their suspects, some of them innocent, obviously, then there is no equal protection of law. And that's a very, uh, very alarming thought for a lawyer. So we as a family and Kyle has taught me, Michelle has taught me and, you know, police brutality is unequal protection of the law. And that is something that I will fight till the day I die. It it, it does come knocking on your door. I don't want to, microaggressions are not my thing. I don't care that much about microaggressions. I understand what they are. There's so many macroaggressions that uh, I don't really think microaggressions are important. But People would when the kids were little, and I always felt a little bit of a little bit of safety when the kids were little because you know oh they don't understand, but you know it doesn't 
Kyle said kids are smart and his sister, Amy is even smarter. Um, and uh, they all are smart. Hold um, on. There we go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they are smart like little sponges. Every single thing that happens, they are there when it happens and they understand. If they don't understand in their head, they understand it in their kind of uh, little souls and hearts. So every time there was a situation where race was an object, and there are situations like that, then I would wonder, what is that little head and heart thinking? And mm-hmm. then I would also wonder, you know, what can my big head and heart do to make it better? Because it, 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 school, like some of the things Kyle's saying about school, I'm not there at school, but, you know, it, it is It is what Michelle said was actually interesting too, though, you know, Kyle's the only black kid on the team that can be for a child, a really different experience, right? Kyle was always a good athlete. So whatever team he was on was glad to have him. So you have that sort of uh, protection, but what about the kids that aren't good athletes, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And what about the meanness in other kids uh, that can go racially or non-racially, but boy, does that hurt when it's racial. And my Kids all face that in different ways. And it's, of course, it breaks a mother's heart. But when it's racial, it even breaks it more. Because sometimes I thought that little white child that's being mean to my little black child, I thought, oh, my goodness, what are they going through at home? What on earth are they being taught? Because they're being taught things that aren't true and are very dangerous. And I'm the adult here and I can tell. But as a parent, do you confront a five-year-old, you know, do you Mm -hmm. say to a five-year-old, excuse me, don't behave like that? You know, sometimes I could engage the five-year-old's caretaker, white caretaker in a conversation. And I would do that sometimes. But, you know, it's just hard. It's a product of our society. And I, I always wanted to protect my children, black and white, but I never wanted to hurt somebody else's child. So I think we have to, as a society, teach all those children better. And I, I know that's a broad plea, but that's my plea, mm-hmm. that transracial adoption in my family would lead me and everybody else to treat our children, all of them, as one big transracial family, because that's what we are. When uh, Prior to adopting Kyle, were you led to believe that love was enough, that color, just, you know, close your eyes to color, treat them? treat them as your own, love them as your own, and everything would be okay. That was certainly the uh, predominant thinking. I don't know if it was 31 years ago, but it was certainly the predominant thinking for a while. We certainly don't think that now, but but we did back then. Was that what you entered this uh, with the, the idea of? Uh, yeah, I got that. I thought it was kind of bad advice even at the time. <laughs> um, it didn't seem like very good advice. But uh, yeah, that was more prevalent back back then. You know, one other thing I'll say, Michelle represents one of many people. She's probably the most important. African-American people sometimes build bridges back towards transracial families, multiracial families. And that is so appreciated. And, mm-hmm. and people do that sometimes. And I, I'm not saying everybody has to. I'm not saying it's their job to do it every minute. But that is a really appreciated thing. And that is just worth uh, a million bucks. And it has happened over the years. And it's something I've really appreciated. Michelle is a good example. 
Imi's birth mom is a good example. And then hundreds of others, teachers and mm-hmm. friends are good examples. Okay. Let's, what I'd like now to, in our remaining time, I'd like to talk about uh, tips for adoptive foster families. And, and in two areas, one, I want to start with tips for reunion. And then I want to talk about tips for raising a transracially adopted child. But let's start with reunion. And Michelle, I'd like to begin with you. Any, If you had words for adoptive parents, the, and this is when I shouldn't have said foster because reunion really, re, reunification is actually the goal of foster care. So that's expected and, and should be built into every placement. But adoption, not so much. And so any thoughts that you could share with our audience, which is predominantly uh, adoptive and foster parents. So for adoptive parents on, I think a lot of adoptive parents fear reunion. And and honestly, they fear it because they're afraid of losing their child. If they, Mm -hmm. they may come up with other, they often will use other things about, I just don't know if it's safe or I don't know, I think they're ready for it. But the truth is, I think if you dig just very, scratch the surface very much, I think it's fear. It's fear driven. They're a fear of, of, that, that they're going to be replaced. So any thoughts? And then, Kyle, I'd like to hear your thoughts on tips for parents for reunion. But first, you, Michelle. Wow. As far as reunions, I just think that if the child says that they're ready, then support them, you know, be open to it. I know that not every story is like ours. I know that, you know, reaching out to a birth parent, you know, might not end up like this. But just support the adoptee, you know, support their choice of seeking out their birth family and just, you know, pray on it and stand by their side, regardless of the outcome. I would say, don't be afraid because at the end of the day, I think the birth parent is afraid as well. And describe that fear because I think you're right. And I think adoptive parents don't often think of it. What is Mm -hmm. the fear on the other side for the birth parent? I think for me, I knew that he had a wonderful family. So I was afraid of coming in and I don't want to say take the place of her, of of Ellen, but like immediately he called me Ma. And I was like, you know, is she going to be okay with that? So it made me kind of fear because I, I, I can't replace what she means to him. She is an amazing mom, an amazing woman. But I felt some trepidation, you know, for him to call me that. But then I was, we were on a vacation. I took Kyle and my friend, she was, she was like, he don't mean nothing to buy it. You know, that's, you know, his, your mom and ma, and that's mom. I mean, there's two different levels to that. And after that talk with her, I was like, okay, I know he's not trying to replace me, have me replace her. It was just what he called me. And that's what I've been called ever since. So I just think that while the adoptive parent has fear, so does the birth parent. Did you end up that the naming issue is, is an interesting one and I should have thought to ask it because that always comes up. Did you and Ellen talk about it or did no. Kyle just make the decision? And, and was he calling you what Devin called you? I believe so. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he might be able to answer that. I, yeah, I Kyle, it was just Ma from Jump. <laughs> was that? I mean, how? What to call your birth mother in a reunion is a sticky wicket for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So apparently, you just jumped in there and solved the problem on your own. But uh, it, it, was that a thought process, or did it uh, just happen? It uh, initially, initially, it was. 
because I was like, well, what, how do I go about doing yeah. this? And then, uh, and then I heard Devin, uh, my brother, you know, say, oh, ma. And I was like, okay, got it. Done. I'm just going to do it. I'm because, because she is right. So, so why, um, yes, it's nerve wracking because it's someone new, but why beat around the bush when it's family? That's, mm-hmm. that's how, that's, that was my mindset. And I've like, like Ma said, I've, I've stuck with that ever since. Ellen, was that hard for you? No, it wasn't. And I didn't have the fears that uh, Michelle is, is, is rightfully talking about. Um, yeah. Cause I think it's a, it's a real, yeah. Somebody replacing names mean something and somebody replacing it is, mm-hmm. and, yeah, can, can be I, a big darn I deal. Think there's a little code switching going on here. I'm learning as I go. I don't think I knew probably right away that he did call Michelle Ma. And that that's may have been okay. good. That and might that have been good. Been okay. It might <laughs> yeah. have been a little code switching within the family type thing. And that might've worked just fine. Right. I don't know that I would have minded, but it, it, I think it was handled a little gracefully by Kyle. So um, I think that one thing Kyle does, and he does it really well, which is nice, that helps the adoptive mom, just like I'm sure it helps the birth mom, is he's just very loving and loyal to everybody, you know, even grandparents and siblings and things like that. So I think that helps everybody feel better too and stronger mm-hmm. too, because he's making everybody aware that he he's loyal on all sides, which might be hard for him. He can speak for himself. I was just going to ask. That nice. seems like that could be a burden, Kyle. Ooh, yes, uh, it can be because you know you want to love everybody. You want to make sure your family is is taken care of, and and that people don't get feel left out or their feelings right, aren't. Yeah. Right, right, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. But I, you know, there there are people. There are my friend. There are some friends that I consider family. My two of my really really close dear friends, um, Jordan Johnson and my buddy Frankie McFarland live in Chicago and they, I have known them. I've known Jordan since preschool and I've known Frankie since elementary school. So I, I wish I would have talked about that earlier, but, um, they, they helped me through, you know, the tough times that I had in middle, in grade school, middle school and high school as well. Um, so I, I would give them all 100% credit and um, they were they family. connected? How did they connect with you through family? Were they were friends of your family? Yeah, yeah. So Frank, yeah. So Jordan, Jordan Johnson. We grew up. Um, it was uh, maybe a five minute bike ride to his to his place. His family always welcomed me with open arms. Uh, his older sister named Lexis, who you know we all played together and played soccer together. And Betsy and John are amazing parents. Jordan now has a wonderful girlfriend and two beautiful kids, Cora Ronan. I'm um, sorry, I babysit them. And then Frankie, we played uh, baseball together. Me, Frankie, and Jordan actually were on the same team. And so same, his, his folks didn't, you know, welcome me with open arms. They, they just saw me as another friend, another human being, and then all showed mm-hmm. me love. And having deep friendships make Absolutely. a difference. I want to tell you about one of our partners, and it's through their support that we are able to bring you this show. That partner is Adoptions from the Heart. Adoptions from the Heart was founded by an adoptee and is now celebrating 35 years of bringing families together through adoption. They are a full-service domestic infant adoption agency specializing in open adoptions. You can see adoptive parents and birth parents share their stories on AFTH-TV, which airs Tuesday mornings. You can follow Adoptions from the Heart on Facebook and YouTube to catch every episode. All right, so... 
In our remaining time, let's talk about tips for adoptive parents and foster parents. We'll include them on this one. If you are raising a child of a different race, and I'm going to circle back to some that, and this is going to primarily, Michelle, I'm not trying to leave you out, so make sure if you have any thoughts, speak up. But I'm, I'm going to, oh, she does good. Well, great. <laughs> then, okay, then I'm, I'm bringing you back in. <laughs> then um, one that Kyle already mentioned that I want to reiterate is his parents made sure he had black and in role models, but in particular, black, he's a male, so black male role models. So that was something they did, and they, they didn't, uh, they didn't just settle for the fact that the team, what the closest team was the most convenient, and they had three kids, and I'm telling you. I'm a mom of four. I get it. Where you would think, okay, you know, it's just easier. We could go across the street or I could get in the car and schlep them to another team. They they made the extra effort. And there are other ways to do that, joining a black church, a predominantly black church, doing a school as uh, that, that that they did as well. So that one, I will get that off the table. Let's see, I'm just going to go around and we're going to, uh, again, Kyle, we'll start with you. Tips yeah. for other than that, I, I gave your first one, so I'm putting the burden on you to come up with the second uh. Great. Tips. Yeah, yeah. See, that's what I call when I'm censoring the adoptee. <laughs> it's always a mixed blessing there, right? So the uh, what's a tip you would give parents who are raising a transracially adopted child? I would say I would say first and foremost, before you're raising a child, if you want to do transracial adoption, do the due diligence and understand that it's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows. Is a it is a tough world. Um, people are mean, sadly, and it's it's going to be hard and you're going to get questions. So be ready to, to, to answer the questions fully. And then, you know, lastly, and which is also so important, is make sure you if you have other kids that are adopted, love them equally, because I've seen times where kids aren't and it destroys them. So love them unconditionally, just like you would love your 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 birth, your birth kids. Yeah, that's that's the okay. advice I would give them. All right, Michelle, you're up. Yes, I would say representation is everything. So along with, you know, the easy things as far as black or brown dolls or toys, books with black and brown faces, take them to the beauty shop, take them to the barber shop, because there's something about a young black or brown child going into a salon and getting their hair done properly. It's different textures. Learn how to do their hair. Something simple as wearing sunblock. Yes, Black people burn. I burn. <laughs> so sunblock, lotion. These are little things that, you know, a white family might not think of that, you know, Black families, Black kids do need. Mm-hmm. And also, Boys and Girls Club or your local urban league, you know, that falls in line with seeking out different baseball, like you said, went to a baseball team, but different organizations so they can get a whole view of, you know, their other, their African-American roots. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And someone has mentioned once that we tend to focus on the the negative, the prejudice and the racism against, but that there's so much to celebrate and that mm-hmm. we need to. We need to surround them with people who are focusing on the celebration, all that is good and exciting and unique to their heritage, as opposed to just some of the hard parts that uh, I've always thought that was such good advice. Yes, yes. Okay. Ellen, you, you're going to close us out here. 
Yep. Ditto everything that Michelle and Kyle said, because absolutely 100% agree with it. And and what you said too, Dawn, about focusing on the uh, the exciting and vibrant parts of the culture. So I ditto everything. I'll give a couple examples of some of those. Um, my extended family has become more uh, multiracial as Kyle has grown up. Um, other children have been adopted and interracial marriages. I think that all of those are ways that everybody gets more experience with everybody else and gets more knowledge and more wisdom and more awareness. And that's always really good. So that has happened. It probably Kyle doesn't even really realize it because that's happened over the years he's been growing up. And I think that reflects our culture in general. And I think that's a good thing. The more that our culture becomes a multiracial culture. And so I think to take advantage of that, I think transracial adoption families can take advantage of what's happening in the culture, which is that it's growing more multiracial. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good thing to take advantage of. And so, and then Michelle gives me advice uh, every time we've been on a couple of these panels, I pass on her advice to my adoption clients about the hair, the skin, the beauty shop. Those are no small things. You could think they were small things when you're um, uh, thinking, but Mm -hmm. they're not. And um, she's given those pieces of advice and those are, are really good pieces of advice. The friends Kyle was talking about were African-American friends. Of course, they were boys when I first knew them. Now they're men. And, you know, that is just, uh, you can find friends anywhere, right? You can just, we all do. We can find friends anywhere. So just keep finding them. Keep finding friends. And Michelle obviously is not hesitant to find friends. Actually, I think that's one thing that Michelle and Kyle share. They're outgoing. They're extroverted. Mm-hmm. They can talk to anybody. They can smile within a minute and make you feel comfortable. So those are things you can share outwards. And I mentioned before that you can also accept inwards as a family. I have gotten people walking up to me at a, a shop or a pool to say, oh, your child is very beautiful. She would look good if she had this and, you know, did this to her hair or something. So you can accept, I think, from people and people you can also give to people. And I really mean that for transracial adoption. And those African-American young men that Kyle was mentioning did give so much to him. And I always appreciate that. Michelle has given so much to our family. And I always appreciate that. So I always tell my clients, I pass on these words of wisdom to my clients. So I hope that I've been able to spread the good words that way too. And Kyle has indicated that he would like to be a resource to other uh, uh, transracial adoptees or transracial adoptive parents. We will include his social media contact information in the show notes, so feel free to reach out to him. Well, thank you so much, Kyle Bullock, Michelle Hubble, and Ellen Bullock for being with us today to talk about transracial adoption from your each of your unique perspectives, uh, transracial adoption and reunion from your uh, unique perspectives. So thank you so much. I truly appreciate it. 